Hey, everybody, and welcome to Healthy Discourse. It's Emily here, and I am super pumped about today's guest, Adam Carroll. Adam is the founder, creator of what's called the Shred Method, and he paid off his home in record time, saving over $180,000 in interest. That sounds awesome. Let's do that. In the process. And today he's going to share with us his strategy so that he can help people free themselves to be themselves. I love that. Adam is the author of four books. He produced an award-winning documentary on student loan debt. We're going to dive deep into that today. And he has a, a, more than one TED Talk, but he has, his, his primary TED Talk has over 6 million views. He helps people achieve true financial freedom in their lives. And more than that, he's all about helping people achieve time freedom, relationship freedom, and service freedom. I love that because we're all about those things here at Healthy Discourse and in our Saunders family. So welcome to the show, Adam. I'm so glad you're here. Emily, thank you. It's great to be here. And I can't wait to see where we uh, where we take things today. I know. Me too. I'm kind of, I have so many things I want to talk to you about. Okay. So first of all, Many of the people that listen to Healthy Discourse have children that are anywhere from babies. The 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 episode right before this is going to be about all things real world postpartum yeah. up to a lot of people have kids in college and maybe even grandkids and that sort of thing. We have a wide listening audience. And I would love to just start with your views on our current economy and the what seems to be this crushing inflation that's happening and everyone I talk to feels like their margin is gone. Like, what do you feel like is actually happening? Not what they tell us in the news. (laughs) Well, I think the, the inflation is real. The shrinking margins in families are real. Uh, My wife and I, in fact, just the other night we went out to eat and we were sitting next to a, a table. It was a family of five. And, you know, I, I knew what our bill was. And I said to her, I can't even imagine having a young family today and expecting to go out to eat X number of times a week or a month and what that bill ends up being. Um, I feel that in my bones, just so you you know. (laughs) Every Sunday after lunch, I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. Cause we're committed (laughs) to do that always. Like we go to lunch after church and I'm like, okay, kids, like, you know, we try to be very frugal and where we go, but yes, I, Absolutely. It's insanity. It is. It is. And and I think what it will underscore for most families is, and I'm sure we're going to get into this, but a, a need to educate kids, especially around money early, early on. So they understand that when we go out to eat and we drop $120, it's not nothing. Like this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the things Again, we'll get into this, but it's one of the things I've done really well with my kids. They have a very, very healthy understanding of money, both what things cost, the value of it, how much time we have to work to make what we make, you know, all those things they're really on top of. And it requires that families do that at a very young age so that kids understand it is expensive to live. I love that. You could very easily raise a kid all the way through 18, 20, 22 and they would never have any conscious understanding of what life costs. And I think yes. that's a problem. Yeah. And and I'll, I'll, when we get into this, I'll share a little bit more our very rudimentary method that we started with our, I just share with Adam, our oldest turns 11 in a couple of weeks and we've down to our 11 week old baby girl now. So we're in that like 
I feel like we're doing all the training right now and it's very hard, but it's so fruitful too. But before that, okay. So I encourage everyone to go listen to Adam's short TED talk from 2014 about college debt. And I was running yesterday before church and I was like cheering the whole time and going, this guy had insight into the future 10 (laughs) years ago. Like what's happening now was happening 10 years ago. But like, it's, I, I wanted to be like, oh my gosh, I can only imagine what these numbers are now. You talk about college, you talk about the investment in that. And this was from 10 years ago. I have two questions for you. One is going to be more like pokey. And then the other (laughs) one is more about this idea of college debt. Number one, on the podcast, you talk about raising critical thinkers, which we talk about all the time here, and how you went to college to learn critical thinking. And I would agree. So my husband and I met in college, we started dating on his 20th birthday. And I feel like college, we went to a liberal arts school is all about critical thinking, healthy discourse, what we do here. I wonder if your goal of raising critical thinkers if you have any different views on what college is today and if that's still something that's easily accomplished versus your views from almost 10 years ago. Well, this is a great question, particularly because my my daughter, my oldest child, <clears throat> will finish her college career in three years, which is awesome. Yeah. And then she's pursuing a master's degree. She's really okay. found that she has a heart for for higher ed and wants to stay in that world. Um, I've seen her develop and grow in that space. And, and what I would tell you, Emily, is the majority of her growth, I think, came on her uh, volunteering for leadership roles and doing things within the, the college environment. I don't know how much of it happened in class. Right. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. And, and my son, who was a freshman at the same school, um, he will also finish in three years. And that's been kind of a priority for us is to make sure that they get done in as little time as possible. And it's not to like circumvent their college experience so much Mm -hmm. as it is to to guarantee they're going to leave with no debt. Um, You know, they're going to finish the degree and know that they're capable of going out and finding a job if they want to. Mm -hmm. Um, But my son's college experience, a little bit more uh, or less leadership volunteer oriented and more um, he's wanting to really dig deep into technology. Okay. So he's taking as many classes as he can to understand the tech and, and that's really where he wants to go. Um, I think in answer to your original question, my view 10 years ago about college is a necessity and you know it's table stakes today for people to hire, you have to have a college degree. 10 years ago, that was true. Now, I think there's probably hundreds if not thousands more companies that are like, no, we don't really need a college degree. Mm-hmm. Um, we would be willing to hire you without, but yeah. I think where there is a gap that we have to fill in is how are we raising kids to understand you still need to go learn skills somehow, somewhere okay. in order to then translate into what it's like to be gainfully employed at 18, 19, 20 years of age. Right. And I'm wondering if your focus on helping kids understand the value of money and that this college experience is an investment into your future and your goal, you know, when your kids were young of creating critical thinkers, then yeah. perhaps has helped them to maintain that critical thinking versus what we often see a lot of times. And I hate to use these kinds of words, but this kind of 
indoctrination of thought rather than teaching people to disagree respectfully and have healthy conversations and value different opinions and you know versus like you get a bad grade if you say the wrong thing sort of thing and I'm wondering um if you feel that you're really focus early on in their childhood helped you to launch kids that were prepared for what they might encounter? I would find it hard to believe that it didn't um, only because what we were telling them, Emily, was, hey, question things. And mm-hmm. it's okay to be curious and question things. Yeah. So when you hear something, and and clearly my lens was was around marketing and consumerism and money and all those things. And you would see commercials where you know, a great example is during the holidays, there's all of the Lexus, you know, drive events yes. where there's a, there's a big red bow sitting on an $80,000 luxury vehicle. Right. And and I would tell my kids, Hey, question that, like, that's, that's great, you know, messaging, mm-hmm. but it definitely speaks to a certain demographic. How many people do you think could actually go do that? Yeah. And, and so we start to question. And is that a seeing? good investment if you did do it, right? It, it is a good investment. <laughs> and and, and uh, so we really started to, to talk through how do you leverage critical thinking and what you see and hear? I was yeah. doing it around marketing and consumerism, but I have yeah. to imagine in class, my kids are going like, mm, I don't know that that's true. And right. Question it for sure. Well, and I think that's so important. Like you said, and it we I think we look at it as this like, one big thing, but it's those, those ongoing small conversations that really help kids not just consume the technology and not just consume the, whatever it is in front of them, or just think of every little voice I hear as an expert. But like you said, like, okay, well, is that actually true? Is that real? Is that the best decision? You know, um, my kids love to spot like relative truth claims, like live my truth and all this, all the like kids shows and stuff. They're like, yeah. nope, nope. It's yes. so funny. <laughs> but I think that, I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. I am not a proven parent by this point, but I think I do feel like those little small investments matter so much, especially in the world we're living in where cancel culture and all this is such a big deal to be like, okay, well, can you stand firm and argue your points well, rather than just name call, you know? Absolutely. And if you can, then the name calling, like that person that's going to name call back to you can't stand firm on their argument. And so we just have to have thick enough skin and be willing to stand up for what matters enough to just be willing to take the name calling. So, um, okay. That's, I was just very curious about your thoughts on college. Now I would love to hear more about the, debt side of college and where you see that going and maybe how you prepared your kids um, and maybe even how you invested to prepare. I I would just love to hear from a personal standpoint, how you prepared and planned and this whole like finishing three years thing, how that all worked out. Yeah. I I would be, um, I would be remiss if I didn't say this was definitely a joint effort between my wife and I, Uh um, because my wife was, was incredible about, tracking uh, which classes translated to community college credit or transferable credit into the state school where my kids went. So there, there was kind of a, a concerted effort in figuring out what classes could be taken or need to be taken in order to create a fairly good collection of, of uh, you know, of hours of classes mm-hmm. prior to going to school. 
Um, so that was step one. I think going, you know, the kids going into high school, we knew that our, our school district had the ability to get somewhere between 30 and 40 credit hours for college by the time they had graduated. My wife was amazing at that. On the investment side, you know, one of the things that I tell parents today, and I would tell you as a, a, a brand new mom again, is that again. getting started early in a 529 plan yes. is a really good idea for, for young families um, because of the compound interest factor of the money going into a 529 plan. And for what it's worth, Emily, one of the things that we did with our families, when our kids were born, I would say to them, listen, you want to bring them something, I get it, uh, but we have a house full of multicolored playthings. Right? If you, if you that really, make a lot of noise. Yes. <laughs> they, they make a lot of noise and they clutter up the living room. And I said, if you really want to help, like bring them a stuffed animal, bring them something small, put 20 bucks or 50 bucks in their 529 plan. And I'll show you how to do that. Or you can just, you know, send it to us and we'll put it in there. But we found that by the time our kids were somewhere in the neighborhood of like six, seven, eight years of age, there was 10 grand sitting in a 529 plan for them. Yeah. We've ex our 11 year old. I'm, I'm, I mean, not that it's going to go very far with how college is today, but I'm surprised with how that we started early totally. and and I would love for you to speak to this too, because I learned from our financial advisor that we can use that money for other children and some of that too. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I'm not an yeah. expert. My husband handles most of it. I just kind of sit there and listen and sign my name. So yeah, yeah, for sure. The 529 <laughs> plan is transferable. So uh -huh. it's owned. it would be owned by you and your husband as an example, but the beneficiary of it would be whichever child you designate. Mm -hmm. So you are the owner, they are the beneficiary, essentially, but beneficiaries can change from time to time. So if you have a child that decides college really isn't for me, or I got a full ride scholarship, then you can transfer the beneficiary to the next child if you would like to. There has been a change in the 529 recently that allows you to, um, to turn it into a Roth IRA contribution. So as an example, oh. my daughter might end school and have $20,000 left over. And that 20 grand could become a Roth IRA converted to a Roth IRA for her. I did not know that. It's, it's And that's awesome. So you're starting off your career with a little bit of retirement that then yeah. can compound and yeah. do its thing later. That's awesome. I did not yeah. know that. Thank you for the. And the math is kind of staggering. Like if somebody has 35,000 as an example, this was the number I saw. 35,000 that gets transferred over into a Roth IRA. By the time that person reaches the age of 65, assuming about a 7% rate of return, um, it would turn into about $680,000 at retirement. Wow. So not nothing, not probably enough to retire on for the rest no, of the days. No, but that's a dang good start. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. that's a lot more than, you know, I, and I've been listening a lot lately to this idea, you know, getting away from this everyone goes to college mindset, because I graduated high school in 2000. And that was literally you go to college or you don't have a life like that's it. Yeah, totally. And um, and I think that we could go into this deeper. But I think even in our upbringing, we were we missed out on a lot of key life skills and survival skills and all of that because it was everything was about academics. But that's all. And yeah. now we're all relearning this. All of us older millennials are like relearning how do I actually cook? How do I fix stuff in my house? Like all of yeah. that, which is, that's a whole different topic. But I I do think that um, 
there is this kind of resurgence as far as, okay, as parents, what is the best way to invest into our parent, into our kids' future? And I'm seeing some things where it's like, what if instead of putting all this money into college, you help them put a down payment on a house or help them start their small business or, you know, share um, if you've got a lot of acreage, like give them a parcel of land that they can build their house on. And I'm like, it's really interesting to think about all of these other ways to invest in a future and which one is going to be the most fruitful in the long run. So I'm curious what you're seeing in the market now, if you were to say like, these are the biggest, or these are where I'm seeing are the most fruitful investments. If we're going to invest in our kids' future in any way other than college, what would you say? And I know the economy is changing like crazy and we don't know what 2024 holds right now, but what would you say are some maybe lasting and great investments for long-term future for further generations? I think I love this line of questioning because, you know, th- there is something biblical about the the previous generations helping to support and lever the future generations, and I and I think there's been, I don't know if this is like a societal mindset or not, but there was a book that came out called Die with Zero, and the whole idea was, your goal is to end your life and be a zero. You've spent it all. You've traveled. You've given money away. You've supported your kids when you can, as opposed to later when they don't really need it, you know, those kinds of things. Mm, Yeah. And I love the idea of giving kids uh, a platform, handing, you know, helping give them a hand up to the, to the platform um, because housing is going to be crazy expensive for kids that are just not graduating or in the future, what it will look Mm -hmm. like. And I don't know that incomes will really keep up with that, with the house, the, the price of housing. Yeah, And so I think one of the greatest things that a family could do is begin to figure out what would a down payment account look like sure. for your kids in the future. Yeah, um, Whether that's a loan or a gift or what have you is up to you. Um, we do it a little bit different. We create overfunded cash value life insurance policies for our kids, mm-hmm. sometimes called infinite banking. Okay. And the goal is by the time they're 22 or 23, there's 40 or $50,000 in cash in those policies. Okay. That then becomes the money they could use for a down payment or starting a business or buying okay. a duplex or whatever it may be. All right. And it's a, it's a strategy that uh, a, a lot of families are using nowadays uh, to help build sort of this future opportunity account for their kids. Yeah. And it's not anyone can do it but it's not for everyone if sure that makes sense that's awesome i'm gonna have to yeah. look into that further that's interesting yeah. i do think um i will say that's what my parents did for our wedding gift they gave us um it wasn't a lot of money but it allowed us it, and then i i put a lot of my savings forward but this was in 2005 when we got married yeah. we were able to buy a really cute three-bedroom house for a i looked at it actually my my oldest son, I was like, show me your, your and daddy's first house. This was yesterday. It sold in 2022 for well over about, um, it was well over twice what we paid for it Yeah, in that amazing. amount of time. Yeah. And we don't live in a high, we live in a fairly decent cost of living housing market community like area, which is so other places, I'm sure it's far more. There's no way because we were single income. My husband went to medical school. I was supporting us. 
there is no way that we could have done what we did, probably even with that gift from my parents. So I just think that's a really good way to think forward into investment. Because I think we always, we've just been primed to be like, pay for college, pay for college, pay for college. And it's like, well, is that what's actually best preparing for them for the future if they're going to be underemployed when they come out of college? Right. And we're like, just, you know, go rent an apartment till you're 40. I don't know. I mean, it seems like that's what what it's be, what we're being set up for at this point. No doubt. Um, and there's just something to owning something when you're young and being like, I am working toward making this more valuable yeah. versus this whole like own nothing and be happy, which is, that's a whole other thing. So there, um, and, that's and fascinating. To, to speak to that really quick, the own nothing and be happy. I get that's, that's sort of the going uh, mindset or, or trajectory of, of folks who are just now graduating from college. But I think in your 20s, that's all well and good. You get into your 30s, 40s, and 50s. And the the numbers uh, point to the fact that those who own a home have higher net worths and more money for retirement and so forth. Um, I'm seeing folks that are renting apartments in the $1,800 to $2,500 a month range. And when you look back on your life and you go, yeah, I spent $30,000 a year renting for X number of years, I think what will happen is young people especially will go, man, I wish I would have gotten into a place earlier. And so as a result, and this is just, you know, my own uh, beliefs, but, but I think home ownership is one of the single greatest wealth building tools for families. And if you can teach your kids how to do that and do it well, um, then, then your family tree will, you know, will be healthier as a result. I agree. And and I also would say that I don't think that when we own nothing, that leads to happiness, to be honest. like, And I think that's biblical too. We're called to take care of the things that we have dominion over. It doesn't necessarily speak directly to home ownership, but there's a lot about work. There's a lot about investing in things that matter. There's yeah. a, And I don't think that this whole like, oh, just, you know, just kind of go along in life and it's just going to all work out and be fine. I don't know that that's really a great biblical mindset. And so I think that there is some level of, of joy and happiness that comes from, you know, there's lots of country songs about this and I think they're right. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. I don't want, I would love for you to, I, I know we're running shorter on time. I want to talk about this shred method of debt. Because that's kind of your, um, that's your thing. You have a yeah. membership. Am I correct about we that? Yep. Or how to tackle debt. And I think, you know, these numbers, I really don't. But what I do know is that Americans are more in debt now than maybe ever. Is that yeah. right? Is it, it is. worse than ever? It's, um, it, there are higher levels of debt from mortgage, credit cards, and student loans than there ever have been. Okay. Um, from the time I did the the documentary to today, mm-hmm. you know, when I started, really when I started speaking on college campuses, $200 billion in student loans was kind of the number. And within 10 years, it was at 1.2 trillion. So a trillion dollars increased in 10 years is an astronomical wow. increase. Wow. Today we're at about 1.8 trillion. So slowed down a bit, um, still really high. And now the interest rates have bumped up again because there was a period right. of time there where rates were two, three, four percent. Right. And now we're seeing rates at seven, eight, nine percent. 
-hmm. So it's not nothing for sure. Sure. Um, and then across the board with debts the way they are, um, this you know may be interesting for some, but right after COVID, and there was obviously all of the um, uh, stimulus money that was pumped out into the environment, savings rates actually were the highest they've ever been during that period of time. Okay. And it kind of goes to, stands to reason, right? People were staying at home. They, they weren't necessarily going out, eating, shopping, et cetera. So savings amounts were high. Well, America as a whole has blown through that savings. <laughs> and we're so bad at saving and waiting and investing. And so oh true. my goodness, so bad. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of, that's a good thing to teach our kids how to wait. Just yeah. teach them how to wait. I say totally. no on purpose a lot. And I'm like, ask me again in an hour. They just have to yeah. learn how to wait. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So the the shred method itself is is really a it's a cash flow tool that we teach people how to leverage and it, it it has really two kind of fundamental underlying principles. Emily, number one is that most people don't have an income problem; they have a liquidity problem. So we make enough money to pay our bills. The bankers see to it that that's the case, right? We're underwritten on our mortgage and our car loans and our student loans, so they wouldn't necessarily put us in something that we couldn't afford. Mm -hmm. from an income perspective. Generally speaking, then that means there, there should be some surplus at the end of the month for most families. And principle number two is, uh, if one is people don't have an income problem, they have a liquidity problem. Principle number two is we have to have more money at the end of our month, not more month at the end of our money. Yes, and right. And what that means is you, you have to intentionally create excess at the end of a month in a savings fund or a, you know, an opportunity fund, we would call it. But then the, the key to the shred method working is what do you do with what is extra? Okay. So if, if we teach people when you do the, the most efficient thing with what is extra at the end of the month, most everyone could be out of debt, mortgage included in somewhere between three and seven years. That's amazing. That's student loans, car loans, credit cards, home within seven years, you could be completely debt free. And we teach people how to do that. Now, may I ask, um, I'm not, I, I did listen to several things about the method, but it, is it similar to, and I hate to like talk about a competitor probably, but is it similar yeah. to like the Ramsey method where you're, you're, um, you pay down those highest interest um, debts first. So like, for example, um, when my husband finished medical school, we did our best to borrow as little as possible. I worked so much so that we could do that. Yep. And then um, we tackled that as quickly as possible to get rid of it because the interest rates when my husband finished were insane too. Yep. And I'm so glad we did that because it was gone. We just yeah. lived the same way we had when he was in medical school and just got rid of that totally. until we were able to start saving and investing in other things after yep. the debts were gone. Um, is that, is that kind of your method to like, get rid of these things that aren't a true asset that don't have a value to them? It, it's very similar to Ramsey's model in that we're either going to use the debt snowball or the debt avalanche method. So okay. Yeah. Listeners, I couldn't remember the, the names, but yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Debt avalanche would be going after the highest interest, uh, debt first debt snowball as you go after the, the lowest balance, highest payment first. Right. So okay. if you've got, as an example, uh, a car loan with $8,000 left on it, but a $500 a month payment, 
-hmm. might go after that first because we're trying to free up the $500 a month in discretionary income. Right. And uh, the difference with our model and Ramsey is, you know, Ramsey's whole thing is beans and rice, rice and beans, live on less. Yes. Um, sell everything in your house to the point the kids think they're next, you know, that kind right. of deal. Right, right, yeah. And our model is a little bit different in that we want people to live their their current existing lifestyle. Mm -hmm. They'll get very intentional about where you're spending money and where you're not spending money mm -hmm. so that there is some extra every month that we can put into the shred system to speed up the process. And I like that because I felt like one of the things when we did that was we were actually more disciplined than I think the method was set up for. Yeah. And from someone, what, what I've listened to from you, like you're encouraging people, use the credit cards, get all the points yeah. and pay for things with them. That's what we do. Like totally. pay them off every month and use the miles and go somewhere and do something fun. Yeah. Um, and I realized that, um, and maybe your method is a good, like, okay, you've mastered this. And now what are we going to do with these, yeah. this little bit of extra that you've created, or now that you've created this level of discipline, Yes. And you're not just spending everything and just using debt all the time. Yeah. How can you leverage to actually create more liquidity so you have more money to invest in that sort of thing? Would you agree with that? Is that a That's good assessment? spot on spot? Okay. On. We, we love working with people who are already disciplined in their money, mm -hmm. um, meaning they have some savings set aside. They know that they're spending less than they make. But there's this residing question for them of, could I be doing more? Or right. is this the fastest way for me to do this? Mm -hmm. And the answer, when you find, when you really dig into the shred method, you realize the way that our advisors and our banking system is set up, it's going to make the helpers a lot of money. Mm -hmm. The bankers make a lot of money. The advisors make a lot of money. Your CPAs make a lot of money. When you start using shred, you realize, oh, if I could claw back $20,000, $30,000 year in interest that I'm normally paying, right? I could create wealth so much faster. Yeah. And we have you know, we, we consider shred to be part of what, what I like to call a 10 year freedom plan, mm. because within 10 years, every single person out there could be creating enough passive income that covers all of their monthly expenses. And technically they're financially free 10 years. Right. It's because time. the premise is you're taking this money and you're investing it into something that's going to make you money rather than just right. sticking in a savings account or something like that. Correct. Yeah. yeah. We believe in you know, putting that money in a place that's going to generate at some level, massive, passive, permanent streams of income. And may I ask what some of your favorite favorite um, vehicles for that are in this market? Well, we, we love looking at businesses, though that's okay. not everyone's forte. Mm -hmm. um, I have a, a, a friend and a partner who is brilliant at the chiropractic industry. Mm -hmm. And he get, figures out how to go in and, and take over a chiropractic practice. So we might help create funding for him to do that, mm -hmm. knowing that he's going to turn around that practice and generate an extra, you know, two to three times revenue in, in six months or 12 months, and then yeah. he'll just buy us out. So we, we, in effect, almost like become a lender yeah, um, and, and may own some of the, a piece of the business into perpetuity. Uh, we love that model. We love syndications, which is where you might put. 25 or 50 or a hundred thousand dollars into a multifamily apartment complex or a hotel chain and you get a monthly or a quarterly revenue stream out of that um so those are just a couple there's literally there's 15 to 20 different ways you could you could begin to invest money 
that, yeah. and this is really important, Emily, you're not going to hear from your advisor at Edward Jones or, or mm-hmm. you know, your local, um, uh, any of the other financial advisor firms. You're not going to hear this from them because they make money when your money's in the market. Right. And not that we don't believe some money should be in the market, but we also believe some should be in alternative investments like real estate or cash flow producing tools. Right. Okay. Last question. What are your thoughts on this whole idea of this um, universal digital currency? Is that a reality that we need to be aware of? I think it's a foregone conclusion. I just don't know how fast it'll happen. All right. And and here's, here's why I say that. Um, you know, we have, I think the number, if you pull up usdebtclock.org, um, I think the number is like $37 trillion in, uh, in U.S. debt. And if you take in all the unfunded liabilities, we're more like $100 trillion in unfunded liabilities. Wow. It is more money than will ever be created in, um, in IRS revenue, you know, in tax revenue or in interest revenue from student loan debt, which is the mm-hmm. second largest source of, of revenue from the US government. Um, there's, there's way more debt out there than we could ever create as income from a, as our society. And so as a result, at some point, somewhere down the future, I think they're going to say, okay, hit the reset button. Now it's this US digital currency. This is how we're operating. Wow. And, and here's my, my greatest fear, and I think, what I hope your listeners take away from this show is that we have to raise our kids today in an environment with paper cash, meaning the kids actually have to handle money or else they won't understand what money is. Mm. Because when we go digital, when we go to Venmo or PayPal or Zelle or strict USDC, you know, what's going to happen is kids will stop understanding the pain associated with, I just gave over a $50 bill. Yes. Because when we, you know, hit our watch on a, on a reader or we tap a credit card, it doesn't register the same way as if we're handing over a $50 bill. Right. And we got to teach kids that feeling today while the money is still in circulation. And I have one more question. Sorry that came from that. What are your thoughts on the future of Bitcoin and the like? I'm, I'm, uh, so I'm a, a kind of a, a maximalist when it comes to Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Uh huh. But the way I, I view that as a bit of a long term play, Emily, is that Bitcoin, as an example, if you have, if you have one piece of currency that will never be, there will never be more created. Right. Then by its very nature, you have something that will probably appreciate over time. Okay. You sound like my husband now. I think this yeah. is a good thing. Okay. (laughs) I'm a big believer. I think anybody just broad strokes, anybody that 10 years from now, if you had one or two Bitcoin, you have five to 10 Ethereum tokens and five to 10 Solana coins, or maybe more, probably more like 50 or hundred Solana because they're cheap right now. Okay. You will be very, very happy that you did. Okay. All right. Well, Adam, I could talk to you for like five hours. This has been so fruitful and I really love your tips, especially with kids and money, because I think that's one thing we, we tend to miss as parents. And I think a lot of it's because we also don't know what we're doing because back to what I was talking about, a lot of people my age and a little younger, it was all about go to college, go to college, but not what to do with the money or how to pay for college or, 
what happens after college or how to buy a house or any of that totally. stuff because we are the generations that they just send us credit cards in the mail like That's here right. just go use this that's right and so um it's we're relearning a lot of things that i think we did not learn back when we really should have and we have an opportunity to set our kids up for a better financial future than we might even be experiencing ourselves so totally. no i really really appreciate it. I can't wait to listen to some more of your advice and look into your method too, because I think my, my husband will be very fascinated by it too. But tell us really quick, where can we best quickly find you so that we can check out the shred method and everything else that you offer? Yeah. Thank you for that. The, the shred method.com is the website, the shred method.com. Okay. The shred method.com. There's a free calculator on the site where you can plug in your numbers and it will tell you to the month, when will you be out of debt and how much would you save in interest by doing so? Wow, um, everyone we're, should go do that. And we're super happy to spend 20 minutes on the phone with folks too and just go through your numbers in depth and give you a more um, kind of granular look at what happens. And okay. sometimes we can increase the speed at which you pay things off even faster doing that as well. So that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I know you've helped many, many people and I really appreciate your expertise. I feel like we're living in a really complicated time where like we're told like this isn't so bad, but it feels bad. And it's like, or, and this isn't good, but like these people are getting really rich off of it. It's like how, how to figure out what to actually do can be really hard in this environment. And you have some great expertise. So thank you again for sharing it. Thanks for having me, Emily. I greatly appreciate it. Absolutely.